Welcome to the 3B3 Podcast, a weekly look at the world of hockey with your hosts, Cassie, Pat, and Patrick. I guess we'll start things out a little differently this week since uh, we are uh, one skater down. Is that the most appropriate way to describe it? Sure. Eh. Why not? I don't know. I've been on the ice the last two days, so that's the only thing coming to mind. Well, you know, it is a hockey podcast, so doing hockey-relevant phrases seems like it would probably be a good idea. Yeah, and if if we get to the point where we're overdoing them, uh, I think we get rebranded as Puck Podcast. Yeah. So, yeah. That's okay. They were the first. They deserve to keep their stick. <laughs> All right. So, topic of the day. Um, I mean, there's only th- one thing we really can talk about, and uh, this week we're going to forego answering a question, and we'll we'll bring it back up in a subsequent week. But it it the topic of the week is Paul Fenton. <laughs> I have to tell you that I am terribly impressed with the fact that it only took them one year to figure out that was a bad hire. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I will applaud. You know, the owner, um, Craig Leopold, for just, you know, so much is set in place and too many wheels are in motion to it to it have it done immediately after um, the regular season. Because, I mean, the front office just kind of shifts into draft and free agent mode. I mean, in April before the season actually ends. Right. But. Yeah, I mean, I don't, like a lot of people were saying, the timing is curious because he got to oversee a draft and he got to sign free agents and then he was fired. So I don't actually subscribe to The Athletic, so I don't know what Russo actually wrote. (laughs) Oh, well, um, several thousand words. Yes. Um, this honestly, this piece might be the single best thing I've I've read out of the athletic. Really? Yeah, it's one of the few times I feel comfortable with all the writers kind of navel gazing each other. Um, mm-hmm. It it was that good. Just his reporting on the subject, because I'm pretty sure Russo broke the story first. Yeah, that's from what I saw. Yeah, from what I saw. So. From his coverage from that point to um, I guess I guess it was yesterday afternoon he released a uh, uh, in-depth breakdown, I guess, of why he was fired. Mm-hmm. like he's he's had so much on the subject. I'm having trouble keeping track of which piece I should have pulled up and be able to reference. <laughs> Um, cause he's, he's probably written 20 to 30,000 words in the last week just on this one individual losing his job. So, I mean, granted it is now August and we are in, um, the dog days of, of summer and the hockey desert, <laughs> everybody wanting a drop. Um, well, we're certainly getting it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I saw that some of the backlash or fallout, I guess, not backlash, um, from the article on Twitter. 
so I know a bit of what what was written but um, yeah I didn't read all of it I mean I know that that um, he tried to have Boudreaux fired a few times Boudreaux's on his third GM now <laughs> yes you know, when you think about it, he had two GMs in his other two NHL um, head coaching stops. And he's surviving, you know, through all the mess that is the wild. Um, it's pretty remarkable. It speaks to how good of a coach he is, despite, you know, well, he never had much to work with, if we're being honest. But, um, yeah, so the, the gist of... Um, I guess the fallout is he was a great scout and a terrible manager Mm. and seemed super paranoid. And it was never so much that, you know, the new hire wants to get a bunch of his people around him. It's I'm not sure Fenton ever had his people. There are certainly people he hired to positions but he he's he seems like the worst person in the world to be a manager of individuals. Um, that weird case of I'm a big proponent of you should never just promote someone because they're really good at their job. Sometimes there are certain people that you should just keep in that position and then do what you can do to keep them happy. And then there are others that may be uh, you know slightly less talented or more ambitious. And they're better suited for a managerial role. Like some people are just better as talent versus managers. Right. Yeah. I mean, I ran into that situation where I currently work, where um, I was hired over somebody who probably should have been promoted into my position, but it was felt that the guy who should have been promoted, who had like massive amounts of seniority and everything, um, wasn't going to be a good fit for the position. So (laughs) that he was good at his job and what he did, just not in the position I ended up getting to his credit though. He doesn't hold it against me. So there you go. Yeah. There's, there's very similar, um, hiring weirdness, beyond NHL nepotism that I see in my field where it's like there is a application process that is very outdated for a very technical and uh, on the edge of, you know, newness and greatness that it's like one hand is not talking or, or, or working with the other. That's like everywhere where I work. That's my entire like, uh that's everywhere. Okay, so it is everywhere. Not just NHL people, general managers and head coaches. My job is where I work, it's particularly bad because if somebody asks, I know we're kind of straying from the topic, um, if somebody asks me a, a question and I don't know the answer, I have no idea who to refer them to and neither does anybody in my department. That's how bad it is. It's everyone's so like, there's cut off from everybody else. And, I, and and the NHL seems to be either that way or they seem to be a little too connected to each other, you know, with the nepotism and stuff. And, and so Fenton falls into like the situation where 
it's currently at my work where he was an island in, in the middle of a bunch of other islands. I yeah. Yeah. I, I, I kind of feel like that in my personal life as well. And then, you know, immediate news shifts to who are they interviewing. And the first two names you hear are Ron Hextall, which. Such a bad fit. Oh my God. Very bad. Like I think of the, the fire GM club, he is number one on the list of most deserving for a job. Cause I think he did very well in Philadelphia well, apparently came, he was up for the he was up for the job in Seattle. Apparently he was one of the two finalists. I can believe that. Um, I think it just comes down to a personality match where I think stylistically Francis and Hextall work in very similar manners. Now, however, their interpersonal relationships with employees and you know their corresponding general managers with other franchises that may have been a determining factor. So I, I think for a team that's foolishly in the, we can still be a playoff team year <laughs> in year out delusional Hextall is probably the worst fit. And you know, I don't know whether it's true or not, but little stories about how he treated staff in Philadelphia and how he managed people, you know, there might be some clash or conflict there where, okay, you might not be the best fit for a situation that needs to repair some relationships. Um, and people put up with that in Philadelphia because he was a star in Philadelphia. Yeah. You know, and, it might not have gone so well then. And given where they were when he came in, and I mean, that, that franchise is, has its own nepotism issues where, you know, people are kicked upstairs, but they still have influence. Um, and then there was the other name that came out, which was Peter Chiarelli. Mm-hmm. And they are not going to hire him. There is not a chance in the world, just just from the PR optics or, you know, hoping to get a single player to ever keep the wild off their no trade lists. There's no way they would hire him. But I do think the franchise should have talked to him immediately. He's yeah. fired. He He's not been reassigned He's not doing the um, Dean Lombardi. I'm working as an advisor for another franchise. No, he's ready to be cut loose by the Oilers. So he's free to talk with whomever. Um, And the biggest thing is, if anything, he can he can provide some insight into everything he kind of did wrong or what Fenton did wrong dealing with other general managers. Um. And he can find out what outside opinion of other people on the staff is at this point, because it sounds like there was a lot of (sighs) highly respected, lifelong Minnesota Wild people that were really put off or put into rough situations by Fenton, where he wanted to cut certain former players like Andrew Burnett and... Uh, Darcy Hendrick, not Hendrickson. I know I'm pronouncing his last name wrong. Um, but just p- kind of 
cut the rug from under certain individuals that have kind of worked their way up. You know, part of the problem, too, is the owner, Leopold. I mean, clearly he doesn't understand that, you know, you have to have a person who has people skills to be a good general manager. Because, <laughs> you know, it, it, cause it, it's not just the fault of the GM. It's the fault of the person who hired him, too, you know. Um and if you're not, if you're just seeing someone as being successful at whatever they have done previously and just shove them into a role, which is so NHL, um, then you're setting them up for failure as well as yourself. Yeah. Now, it, and it makes you wonder why people like Fenton and, say, Mike Fuda out of Los Angeles, who are these longtime assistant GMs, their names are always in a list of who who's the next great GM hire. Why have they remained in certain places for as long as they have? It seems like certain individuals would interview year over year, but they'd never go anywhere. Now you start to question, okay, well, is this a case of here's a super talented individual that the owner just happened to know and has actually spoken with before interviewing them. It might be a, a case of, of uh, doing the re, quote unquote respectful thing that they're being interviewed simply out of respect instead of actual interest in hiring them. Cause I think a lot of like owners and presidents, team presidents and whatnot, already have a good idea of who they want to hire when they go into the process of looking for a new GM or anybody, a coach or whatever, they know who the pool is. And the pool is very small because most of them don't go outside of their, their comfort zone and like look outside of the retreads. And so, you know, I think that, that you hear a list of people who are being interviewed for a job is less a matter of, they don't know who they want to hire and more a matter of they know who they want to hire, but they're like interviewing people out of respect because that's, that's the way the NHL operates. It's, you know, loyalty and respect. It's like a mob family. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Like it, from an individual standpoint, it makes sense to go take interviews. And this is something I'm very bad at, but apply to things, interview things, even if you have no intention of taking a job or a position only to just kind of keep your interview skills fresh to see what's out there to kind of make other connections. I do think teams kind of do that. And I could see that being the case with them, you know, talking with, I'm not going to say they interviewed, but they talked with Chiarelli this week and they talked with Hextall. Do they have any intention on hiring either of them? If they were smart, they wouldn't. <laughs> Probably not. Yeah. The, well, the... well, honestly, if if Hextall would accept a job, it's probably best case scenario for the franchise. If, you know, all the dirty rumors coming out of Philly about how he worked with the staff are like Eklund rumors, you know, they're just mm -hmm. throwing, throwing stuff out there because they either like a guy or dislike a guy. Or they're just making stuff up just for fodder. Um, but 
Leopold has always struck me as a hands-off guy in the sense that he doesn't get involved in the affairs of anyone under a certain point in the, you know, employee hierarchy, mm-hmm. but he seems to press on his general manager quite a bit. And I think he's going to have to revisit how he does that. Um, I think he is actually going to have to become a lot more involved to clear up and kind of make his business attractive to outside hires. Cause I have a feeling, and this hasn't been written yet, but I have a feeling Fenton had trouble filling positions and other employees that were still on payroll that had term on their contracts were ready to leave at a moment's notice. And they were kind of jumping over the general manager to see what happens. I think this goes beyond a Zach Parisi interview talking about he's not up for a rebuild and he doesn't see them winning. Yeah. I I mean, so with um, Leopold, though, I mean, you have to go with the that what you're saying is logical, but the assumption it's based on is the fact is that he understands that he's part of the problem, and he may not. He may just think, "Oh, this is all Fenton, and if I replace Fenton, then everything will be fine." And that's probably where he's gonna. He'll probably make a huge mistake in in you know hiring Hextall. Because apparently he can't read people if Fenton's anything to go by. So, you know, at what point does... And most people don't like seeing themselves in a bad light. So he probably won't ever really get the idea that it's him. (laughs) And that's why I think, you know, Leopold has to be involved. Because hiring one person doesn't solve the issue. Because you let an issue basically fester for 14 months. If you noticed that the morale of staff was different and down and things were awkward, I get giving it a shot to kind of repair or retry things because so much of what they, I think an NHL season does is you end up in this mindset where you're in production mode. You're just kind of going through a routine process that every franchise does, but the general manager, the president of hockey operations, I think the job is so much more predicated on your uh, how you handle individuals than your ability to make trades. And so I think Leopold just ha- he has to hire someone who can not only delegate but then help him. Like two people need to work together to repair the foundation that just went to shambles i guess over the past year again i'm usually it takes three or four years for um people to realize a general manager isn't working out so the fact that it took 14 months is kind of stunning but um even going to what you're saying with managing people i mean even when you're making trades you have to manage people you have to manage the person on the other line who is who you want to make the trade with you know you have to like make them feel like they're making a good deal when maybe they're not (laughs) well get them to agree on it (laughs) and and part of 
the character assassination of Fenton in the trades he made, it, it just looks like the other teams took advantage of not only his inexperience, but his ineptitude where, you know, I guess need a writer for Rask is going to go down as the worst move he made. Yeah. Uh, as far as uh, roster transactions, apparently he he put no researcher effort into Rask, Victor Rask whatsoever. And as a Victor Rask stan, I'll just tell you that that really irks me and bothers me because now his career is done as soon as, soon as his contract's over. I think. Mm-hmm. You know, things didn't work out in Carolina. I have my own feelings on that. And that's, you know, that's a discussion for a different day. But for someone to acquire a player and do no pro scouting on them, just just in the week that you're having discussions with another team, just tells me you're you're completely clueless. It's mind boggling. I mean, yeah. it's it, there's a generally speaking, there's a lack of due diligence in the NHL anyway, but that's taking it a bit too far. <laughs> yeah. Where there's constantly this, you always know your other, your own players better than everyone else's. That's horse crap. Everyone knows everybody. There are small stories that go, get out there. Um, small town life, game of telephone works in the NHL the exact same way. And a lot of stories are true. So even with minimal effort, you can get a decently clear picture. What you won't get is, all right, how can I make this player work on our team? How can I revive his career? And Russo kind of characterized it that, all right, Carolina might've done a bit of this and Fenton did none of it. Mm-hmm. And then the same goes for when he made uh, the uh, Michael Granlin trade with uh, Nashville. And it just looks like his old boss just kind of, you know, just took advantage of him, basically. Where yeah, you know, for, for as gossipy as the NHL is, and, and they all gossip worse than old women. Oh, God, um, yes. They, uh, it's really strange if you think about it that there isn't more character assassination going on period you'll get it from coaches occasionally about players when they're traded typically or sent down or or whatever or they're russian because <laughs> that's where it happens most often unfortunately the the xenophobia um but in terms of like you know teams Letting not letting go front office staff, and there might be good, there might be bike uh, backbiting going on behind the scenes that nobody's hearing about. Uh, the media does, but they don't like share that publicly. Um, but it's kind of strange that it's so gossipy and you don't get to hear all the nastiness that goes on, too. Yeah, honestly, it's. I guess people just drink in private way too much these days because, I mean, being in, you know, one of the two or three smallest markets in the league, I've heard my fair share of stuff that I've had confirmed by people outside the market that, 
okay, it's a little juicy. It's a little scandalous. Um, it could be used to attempt to assassinate someone's character, but it's just not out there because it's it's kind of trivial and benign um, at the end of the day. Um, and that's just the stuff I hear. I don't I don't know or I don't hear really bad stories until someone leaves and then kind of all the skeletons come out of the closet, but they don't leak out too much. It just kind of stays within these circles. Um, but it's also like the, the stupid stuff like partying and the stupid things that go on surrounding that. Usually it's, it's not typically like, um, I mean, with, the players, it's a little bit different, but I'm talking like the non-player part of the team. Um, I mean, you don't get, you don't hear a lot of like coaches getting trashed by their GMs, you know? Right. Um, either behind the scenes or like publicly. And you don't hear a lot of GMs getting trashed by coaches who, you know, they survived the GM, <laughs> but the GM's gone, you know, like Benton and, in Boudreaux, you're not going to hear anything out of Boudreaux. He's all going to he's going to catch couch it all in turn in benign terms of, oh well, we didn't get along, and oh you know he decided that that we have to like had to go in a different direction with our assistant coaches and blah 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 you know that kind of stuff. But you don't you don't hear the even the behind the scenes stuff character assassinations. Because, I mean, I've been around teams, and I've heard my share, fair share of things, too, especially as a um, media person, as a blogger. I got to do, like, um, press box and, and interviews and stuff, and you pick up things. People like to gossip in the press box, too. Um, but even still, it's like, and even even now that we're in this more of, it's a social media world, there's so much less of that than there used to be. Oh, I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. And I think it helps that there's so much just static and noise through social media that it kind of makes it easier for to keep things quiet or just kind of allow certain stories to kind of disappear. I mean, honestly, the only real ugly thing we've seen, and it was with a player, I think, is Mike Richards. And even then, we still don't, publicly know the full scope of that story we just know he was caught with a prescription drug that he's trying to cross the border with right but what else really happened and i'm sure i could go talk to two or three people and i could get a story and i bet i could get it confirmed but i mean i i'd like to think i know a lot of information but i don't know share it with anyone because it doesn't it doesn't benefit me or it doesn't hurt. It does me no good to, to get it out there. It's just kind of something to know, mainly because right. I'm building an index or if people are right, here, are the people that I'd like to talk to in the future, if I ever have a pressing issue or matter that I need information or how can I help improve a relationship? Should I ever actually want to work in this business? Mm -hmm. Um, I say that as I ran into a uh, front office person last night watching their one of their children play uh, in a uh, skills camp last night. 
I'm sure I could have asked him uh, two or three questions about this whole Fenton saga and what, you know, their front office was thinking about it. But <laughs> I'm not going to throw gas on the fire. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I've been I've been around I've been around sports long enough to know that, like, the bland comments that you get on the surface are really just watered down for public consumption. And it, there, it goes it's it's much more virulent after that. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let me ask you this as we're kind of reaching our kind of predetermined time limit here since mm-hmm. it's just a two person show. Would you make a out of hockey hire for this position? Out of hockey. Not necessarily out of sports. Um, I wouldn't make it out of hockey, but I'd make it out of NHL. Okay. And the reason for that is it's still a good old boys club and you still have to work with other general managers. And if you took someone from say, you know, the WNBA or, you know, major league baseball or whatever, you would totally get, especially from the like more traditional GMs, you totally get the, what do you know? You haven't played the game. Right. You know, or you haven't been around the game or whatever. So, um, you know, I, I liked the idea of what Iserman did in Tampa and taking a guy who Cooper, John Cooper, as much as I currently dislike him, but I liked the idea that they took a guy who didn't play hockey for a living, was actually a lawyer, still is, and worked his way up through the hockey ranks to be offered the job that he has now. So he's he's one of the few, if not the only one, I don't think he's the only one, though. Um, NHL coaches, head coaches, who have made it through the system through the USHL. Yeah. And um, so, you know, I mean, and he he was absurdly successful at every level. So, you know, he's won championships at every level. He just hasn't done that in the NHL. Um, so I really like that idea that you, you pick a, an up and coming guy who is obviously or girl, you know, I mean, I, I would I would obviously be looking at like um, Canada's women's GM, you know, because Canada's women's team always wins like gold medals and stuff. I would be looking at them going, who's the GM of, of hockey Canada for the women's hockey team? <laughs> Cause they're clearly successful. <laughs> um, so yeah, you know, it, it's, I would love to be able to say, Oh yeah, they should get like an, an NBA GM or something, but it, it, Hockey being what it is, it wouldn't fly, I don't think. Yeah. So they had an interim GM after they fired uh, Cliff Fletcher or Chuck Fletcher. Oh, God. Nepotism sneaks its head again. Um, (laughs) Guy by the name of Brent Flair who ended up leaving the organization uh, in November. Um, He was the interim GM. He was kind of. Fletcher's right-hand person and 
basically he was forced out because he was given a crappy assignment once Fenton was hired. If a person like that was still with the organization where Flair was a senior VP of hockey ops, whatever that means, you're probably wearing a lot of hats, doing a lot of jobs. But if you still had someone like that who actually spent time talking with other GMs, I think you can afford to make kind of an outside hire of someone who is organized and strategic, but also a good people person. But I'm afraid you're right where they're just going to have to stick with someone within hockey. And I, I think their best bet is to go outside the NHL as well. I don't think they will. No, no, because they'll want instant success and they'll think, oh, well, only a guy who's ever worked in the NHL would understand the NHL. So therefore, we need to hire a guy who's a former NHL GM. That's the logic. And the rest of the logic in a lot of cases is I wonder who I know or I wonder who my buddies know. (laughs) Yeah. And honestly, the one name that's kind of I've kind of thought about this and I thought about this, you know, last summer seeing. Uh, Carolina go through their GM process and then kind of following Seattle as scuttlebutt of, oh, they're going to look to make this GM higher sooner than we realize. Uh, John Ferguson Jr., who, all right, he was a former GM in Toronto. Things didn't go well, but he didn't just sit on the sidelines or, or work in an advisory capacity. He kind of, he got knocked down and now he's working his way back up the ladder. Mm-hmm. So to speak, where, you know, I'm impressed by people who do stay with certain organizations for a period of time. So he stayed with Boston for quite a while, um, even after. So I think he was a Shirelli hire. And he stayed there beyond him. So when you're working with multiple managers, you're providing some sort of value to a franchise. And I think dealing with the nonsense that was Toronto during the teacher's pension days and all their weird ownership quirks and basically being a team that was always going for it. Mm -hmm. Um, He may have some unique perspectives and, and certainly has the contacts, but my question is, does he have the managerial skills? Cause he's another one of those names that it's never been at the top of the list, but it's always out there. And he's been interviewed quite a bit. Well, I mean, you also have to take into consideration that the people doing the hiring are also looking for people who aren't going to take their jobs. Which is great because they have, you know, Mike Madonna, who never worked for the franchise before recently, who's not really in a hockey advisory position helping with the interviews so hopefully he can steer them in the right direction and hopefully it's not you know brett hall looking for another crack at a gm job (laughs) oh no no brett hall actually no i shouldn't say that brett hall's highly entertaining but he would destroy another team (laughs) and he lasted in the gm job longer than paul fenton well, that's because he had name recognition, not just his name, but his dad's name. Oh, so he was like, a, well, his dad's name should be a giant scarlet letter at this point. I know. <laughs> Red flag everywhere. <sighs> I know. I agree. But, but, you know, it's, it's that whole, I mean, it all goes down to, goes back to, it, it, it just, the connection just like 
put in my head. It, it, it's a similar thing to naming star scoring players captain. Right? Yeah. Where they may not actually be the captain on the team, but people mistake scoring clutch goals for leadership. Yeah. And so, you know, that's just, it, it carries on through like the front office. It's the, oh, well, you were great under pressure in this game and, you know, this series and this season. And so you're going to be, you're going to be great under pressure in the front office doing this job. And it's like, well, maybe when, not. <laughs> when really everything they were doing was. Reactive. It was, it was reactive. It was instinctual. It was not something trained or built up. You know, I, I was once an advocate that, you know, your best player should be part of your quote unquote leadership group. I have a whole theory and methodology behind how you choose your captain to alternates. And my best player once upon a time, I used to say, all right, you're just getting an A just because I'm going to, I'm going to put some responsibility on you beyond, mm. you know, just what you do on the ice. Um, but I'd never make you the captain unless you were fit for it. Uh, but he, here we're kind of seeing a bit of that. Yeah. I mean, me personally, the captain is the person who takes care of the team emotionally. And that's typically not a star player because the star player has been taught all their life that they need to take care of themselves. And so they need to be in the right position. They need to be in the right place. They need to, you know, it's them, them, them. They're the star player. But the the guy who should be captain is like the third or fourth liner who is helping everybody and their dog, the rookies, you know, with walking around the arena, showing them where everything is and, you know, making sure that they find a place to live and, you know, doing public outreach and, you know, all of that stuff. That's actually the captain, the person that, like, is the father figure or big brother of everybody on the team. And and to me that, I mean, and sometimes, not always, but sometimes it, it does overlap. Sometimes you do get the star player who is the big brother on the team. Like, I think Gabe Landeskog is one of those guys. But that doesn't happen very often. So that's my personal, like, take on that. Yeah. Any gut feelings on who the hire will eventually be? I think they're going to go with Hextall. The worst possible choice right now that's being thrown around. I think they're going to take Hextall. If, yeah, he... Things will go in one of two directions, really bad, which ultimately might be good for the team, or really good, which might ultimately be good for the team. But it's just a matter of how long. I think it's going to go really good initially, and then it's going to, like, flame out really fast. And they're going to be like, well, he just needs to have the right group again, or right combination, or, you know, blah, 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 just dragging it out for that that three or four years that most GMs are given and then they're going to find someone else and not really get much farther than they already are. I don't, I don't have a gut feeling. He's the easy choice. That's why I'm saying this. He is the easy choice. 
Hmm. Yeah, I, I don't have one off the top of my I, I mean, what, unless what, there's somebody else behind the scenes that they've been talking to that hasn't been brought up in the media yet. I could see there might be a name that's familiar within circles, but like the next John Chica, a guy who's run his own business, has worked with multiple teams, like like an analytics company, basically, and mm-hmm. he's brought in to do the exact same thing. So someone known within the industry, but not known to the public at large. Yeah. I think that's the direction they're going to go in, if I had to take a guess today. I kind of hope so. <laughs> yeah. That'd be a good way to go, I think. But, I mean, again, you're always taking a risk, right? This is risk management. You're always taking a risk about who you're going to hire, who you're going to have coach your team, what player you're going to have out there during a penalty kill. I mean, it's that's all it is. It's risk management. So how risky is, is Leopold feeling is really what it's come down to. So I think going along with that, how long is he willing to wait? Because I absolutely think you can wait until October, November to find some available person. Because most people are locked up and in about three weeks' time, it's you can't jump ship. Right. And I mean, yeah, because I mean, right now the GM doesn't really I mean, they have things to do. But in terms of like player management, they don't. Yeah. You know, because they can't trade. Well, they can't trade in like, what, like a month and a half or something. And no one does any trades anyway. They barely do like when people are on waivers, they barely do like. Uh, pick people up off waivers, especially in October. I swear that there's a um, there's an unspoken like rule that if people are sending guys down to the minors, that no one's going to like claim them off waivers, <laughs> like in unless, the, like in October. <laughs> yeah, unless you're a Toronto goalie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um, so yeah, I don't think actually I, I you could probably even stretch it out to uh, to December. They don't really need a GM until then. Hopefully they have enough people still working for the team that, at least in hockey ops, where they can kind of manage those two or three roster decisions that they have to make. I think getting rid of Fenton made a lot of people stay. (laughs) Yeah, I I would hope so. It's probably too little too late, but... Yeah. And there's always Pierre Maguire. (laughs) i wouldn't wish that upon my worst enemy (laughs) you know what it would be unfortunately he's too anti-analytics like he's just puffing out his you know you know i i quote unquote watch the game Mm -hmm. a little too much and he doesn't make too many friends in the business from what I gather, from what I su- I've seen with him interacting uh, in public places. Weird. Pompous ass doesn't make a lot of friends. <laughs> well, he he's definitely one of those that he, I think he is well-intentioned. Oh, yeah. But he just doesn't, he, he's kind of clueless. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Um, he, should, he should go to uh, Ottawa. Well, he does live in that area these days, if I'm not mistaken. 
So Pierre McGuire for GM. All right. I, th- All right. I, I think that's, I think that'll be the, um, we'll, we'll speak for Patrick and we'll say that that's our, that's our gooey duck for the week. <laughs> All right. So on that note, we will wrap up here and we'll, we'll get back to normal business with the question of the week next week and uh, go on a few more tangents, hopefully. Always. Follow us on Twitter at 3v3 Podcast. This has been the 3v3 Podcast, sponsored by Nobody. <laughs>